you would be turned to the book of Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. While you're turning, uh, of course, we're still continuing to receive our offering for World Mission Sunday. We'll be looking at some things about mission work here in just a few minutes. However, we're going to kind of preempt uh, that. If you already got a check and so forth made out for that, that's fine. But I will not have ushers posted in the back for World Mission Sunday. Uh, but there will be ushers posted in the back uh, in, in this foyer here. Uh, Rick Waller had to leave yesterday, just pretty much unexpected, to take off to Little Rock, living out of a suitcase. Many of you people have had to do this as you were out of town. And uh, we don't know how long he's going to have to be doing this. And uh, we'll be taking a love offering up to help defray the expenses that he may be looking at in uh, being in Hot Springs uh, uh, beside uh, Molly for an undetermined amount of time. So if you can help out with that, there'll be uh, ushers uh, at each door. This is something that we do. And uh, looking around, a lot of our families have been there, haven't we? And so if you can help out, that'll be great. Also, let me mention another ministry opportunity. It's always exciting when you talk about ministry opportunities, and this is probably one of the most exciting ministry opportunity that's uh, available. If you look on my page, we'll realize that we have uh, expanded our property to the point we need some people to help out with some yard care. Uh, it's got to be just pretty much more than we can handle. Now, Sharon and I are always glad to do this, but a lot of times during the summer, it would take us pretty much all day uh, to try to get everything done working together on it, which is not a big problem, except sometimes we didn't have a day to spare. And so we've added some more to what needs to be mowed. Uh, if you can help with yard work, we're going to divide it up into sections, and there'll be different sections that you can uh, decide that you want to try to tackle. Some of it involves riding mowing. Some of it involves push mowing, quite a bit of it. It'll involve some weeding, it involves some blowing. It's uh, just all kinds of uh, skill sets here that you, you can help us out. We're going to meet right after church this morning. And just to kind of see who all could be interested and who all might want to help out, then we'll kind of get a plan together. So if you can help out, we'll try to keep the grounds beautiful throughout the uh, grass growing season, which started like this week, didn't it? So, uh, and it'll last to like, probably the first day of deer season. So be ready, because uh, grass is growing. But I appreciate that. And let me tell you this, that uh, it does make a difference. A lot of times, uh, especially after the uh, new restaurant opened here, people in Magnolia drove by Emerson the first time in decades. You know, people just don't drive down here. And they said, wow, your church facility and grounds look so nice and so well kept. So it makes a difference, and you're doing a good job, and let's try to keep that up. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. Kind of pick up where we left off last week with uh, mission work. Now, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Now let us, uh, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they were doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God 
and he went through the churches through Syria. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for mission work. We thank you for the work you give us to do here, for church work. Help us to understand some things about your work, about our work, about our place in your plan. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we know that church work is God's work, isn't it? Mission work is God's work. However, God chooses humans to do it. It's God's work, and God accomplishes lots of things, but God chooses to use us to do it. And the Bible is honest, and that way we can say that we know that People wouldn't have made all this up and included a lot of the human side to church work. You see, there's a human side to it because humans are kind of messy, aren't we? As we look at God's work and we look at the importance of mission work and we look at the importance of church work, you'd think everybody would be so focused on it, it all runs smooth. But it didn't, did it? You see, God uses humans. And you know the thing about humans is we are humans. Now, there's three great things we want to look at in this passage of Scripture, just kind of frame our thoughts. First of all, the Great Commission. The Great Commission. You know the Great Commission. It said, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. In another gospel, it says, go preach the gospel to all nations. So, of course, the, the first word was go. We think about the Great Commission, we think of go. Now, look in verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go. So we understand he had the Great Commission. Now, he said this, let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord. Let's see how they're doing. Now, we know, according to the rest of the book of Acts, that's not all Paul had in mind because he would go to these cities and sure enough, he'd start preaching to other people. He would start setting up in, in places that didn't have a church. Paul's calling, Paul's desire, Paul's passion, he had a burning drive to go. Now, Antioch, where he was, was quite successful. If you read in verse 35, Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Now look at that. Many others also. This was a church that was growing. This is a church that had a lot of people in it. Antioch was successful. Antioch was comfortable. And he had a place of service there. It says that Paul and Barnabas were preaching and teaching the word of God. So he had a position. He had a place there. He as comfortable there, could have stayed there a long time. But Paul's field was the far reaches of the world. And so he had said to Barnabas, let us go. Now, I know lots of missionaries and uh, talk to them quite often, good friends in the mission field. I know a lot of missionaries who would go, especially those in the United States, and this is the ones I'm most familiar with, who would go to another city and plant a church. 
They would plant a church, even meeting in a storefront or meeting in their home, and for too long they would have a building up and some nice campus. Sometimes it's a great building. And they would get that church up and thriving. You'd think they would be content because, my, look what the Lord is doing here. And the first thing I know they're saying, I can't stay. I can't stay. I've got to go somewhere else and do this all over again. And then they would be starting to look for a pastor to come in while they went to start a church somewhere else. Why is that? Because they had a desire and they were not comfortable in doing any other thing than out there on the edges, winning souls and planting churches where perhaps there was no church in that location. And even in the United States, we have places like that where they need an evangelical church. And so Paul and Barnabas went. Wow, they were doing God's work. But let me say this, it was not everybody's calling. Notice it said that many others there were preaching and teaching the word. And you might say, didn't they love the Lord? Didn't they want to win lost souls? Why didn't they all pack up and go? Simply because more people stayed behind. Were they wrong? No. God does not intend for all of us to be the same. You see, that's the human side of church work and the human side of mission work. God calls people to go. God calls people to travel long distances. God calls people to do that kind of mission work. But God calls everybody to do his work, and many more people stayed and did the work there. Now, this is something we need to all understand, and maybe we, we miss this sometime, is God does not intend for all of us to be the same and to do the same thing. Look in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. And, of course, the apostle Paul wrote this, And he puts it into perspective. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we, having many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members one, uh, for one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Paul says twice here, God has given to everybody something to do and something to do that something with. Now he says this, I say to you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. That's usually not the problem. Usually the problem in a church is people think more lower of themselves than they ought to think. You know what they think? 
I can't do anything. I don't have a gift. I don't have an ability. I don't have anything to do. I can't do anything. And, and it's real easy. We're going to leave the work of the church and we're going to leave the work of the Lord to somebody else that can do stuff because I can't do these things. We all can do something. That's what he's saying. We can't do the same thing. Not everybody God has gifted to go and evangelize and go and plant churches. Not everybody is called to preach in the pulpit. Not everybody is called to teach a Sunday school class. But a lot of times since people don't do these public things, they say, well, I can't do anything. And so they're not doing anything because they feel like they have nothing to work with. God has given us all something to work with. And then he starts listing some things. He says, if it's the gift of prophecy, and that word prophecy does not mean to foretell the future, but to foretell the gospel. And then it says, our ministry, let us use it in our ministry. And you might think that, caught, that kind of counts you out. You know what that word ministry means in the Greek language? Acts of practical service. If your gift is an act of practical service, well, that's unlimited. That's unlimited. That could be anything of practical service that could be done for the church or to be done for others. And there's always something to do. You know, we have a group of wonderfully talented people that can cook. And you know, when it comes time when people come home from the hospital and we have a funeral and people meet here in the fellowship hall and they come in and all that, what we call church lady food, but all that spread out. But I got some guys here that can cook as well. And people walk in from other places and from other towns and from other churches. They say, what a ministry you have here. What a ministry you have here. You know, isn't that something? If you get that casserole calling, answer the call because God needs you. He needs you to do that. But then sometimes it's as practical as fixing things. Sometimes it's practical as yard work. Sometimes it's practical as a phone call, a text, a card, practical acts. We all do things. God has not made all of us do the same thing, but he's made all of us to do something. And you see the Great Commission, some went, but some stayed. And it's important they stayed because you know what the people who stayed did? They helped send the people who went because it cost money for them to be on the road. But then we have the great divide, and this is where the Bible is very honest about what happened with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. They were human, and it shows us the human side. The problem, of course, seems to be focused on one man, but it really is not if we look closer. It says that Paul came up and said, I've got an idea, let's go. Let's go and see the churches where we have preached the gospel. You see that? He had a care for the people he had reached for the Lord. He said, I want to see how they're doing. And Barnum said, man, that, that's, a, that's a great thing. I'll go get John Mark and, and we'll take off and go. You see, John Mark had went with them on their first journey. And John wanted, uh, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. Now the problem is, John Mark left them early. If you want to back up to see where this happened, it's just almost like an afterthought. It does not even, doesn't even come up to be a big deal when it happened. In chapter 13, verse 4, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. 
And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant, John Mark. Then you look in verse 13. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, and he goes on in the story. It's almost not even a hiccup. It's almost just barely on the radar that John, Mark, had gone with them and his assistant on their work. And in verse 13, it says they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left and went back to Jerusalem. Now, here's something to note. He had already sailed over 360 miles by boat, and he already traveled 100 miles or more through land when they went to Cyprus. Why did he leave? Why did he turn around and go home? The scriptures don't tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us why John Mark left. Was he homesick? Don't know. Did, was he uncomfortable? Scholars have tried to, to come up with a lot of them. Here's some of them. He thought that they were getting into dangerous territory, they were getting too far from home, and the road ahead did have a bad reputation as being a rough neighborhood they were going to be going through, so to speak. Didn't want to go there. Some said that he missed home, he was homesick. Some said that he was uncomfortable because they were preaching to more and more Gentiles and him being a Jewish guy. Some say he was kind of upset because Paul was taking the lead and, of course, Barnabas was his uncle. And all these things, we don't know why he turned around. He may have got the feeling bad. I don't know. We just know that it was enough that it was legitimate for John Mark. But clearly the reasons were unacceptable to Paul. And Paul said, nope, he's not going. He left us, and he's disqualified. He's done. He's not going. Now, I'm going to look at two approaches to the issue. See, Paul and Barnabas, just like we mentioned, were two totally different people. Very talented people, and you think they were kind of the same because both of them had been called to go. So they're cut out of the same piece of cloth. Here they were in the same narrow field of going at this time and preaching the gospel, but they were two different people. First of all, Barnabas, you have to understand what his name was. Barnabas' name was the son of encouragement. Barnabas saw the value of the individual. Barnabas wanted to develop the personal potential of John Mark. And Barnabas probably said, yes, he was a disappointment to us. And I was disappointed too. But let's give him another opportunity. Let's give him another chance. Let's bring him along. He'll never grow if we don't give him another chance. So Barnabas said, I know if we give him a chance and work with him, he can do better. He can be better. That was the focus of Barnabas because his focus was to be an encourager. But the Paul... It was like, no, the trip is difficult and the work is worth too much to risk it. It's critical that everybody does his job and he is right. And the work is important enough, we can't take the risk that we'll get halfway into this trip and he'll go. You see, Paul's priority was the success of the project. Barnabas' priority was the potential of the people involved in it. Who was right? Both of them. 
both of them. Who was wrong? Neither of them. You see, sometimes that begins to be a problem when we all get together with the work of the Lord and we discover the very human, messy situation that we're different. And we all have different opinions. We all have different skills. We all have different approaches. We all have a different focus. And let me say this. When it comes to morality and decency and honesty and doctrine, there is a yes and a no, a right and a wrong and a black and a white. There's no gray area when it comes to morality and decency and God's morals for our living in God's plan of salvation. But when it comes to methods, when it comes to procedures, there's not always a right way and a wrong way. There's my way and your way, and they may both be good ways, but they're different ways. But somehow, we somehow get to, to thinking that it's a right way and a wrong way, and we're not going to look at any other way. And this is the way it was with Paul and Barnabas. There were different ideas, and that's good. We've got to bring those to the table if we're going to move ahead. There were different opinions. And Paul would later write, if you want to look in Ephesians chapter 4, verse, four uh, verse 1 and 3. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Listen to what Paul writes. This was written years later. But notice what Paul said. I'm sure Paul learned these things by experience. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. I'm begging you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, what did he just say there? He said, with all lowliness and gentleness. Now, the word long-suffering is a word that has to do with patience with people. And it says this, bearing with one another in love. You know, that's a, a, a Bible term, and we'd put it up in, in South Arkansas language. You've got to put up with each other. Hey, we're in this together. We've got to put up with each other. Because sometimes we tend, we may rub each other the wrong way. Sometimes somebody else's idea is not the same as ours. He said, man, you got to put up with each other. And sometimes everybody else, it's always everybody else, some people are just quirky, aren't they? It's always they. And some people are just quirky. He said, put up with all that. And then he says this. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity or the harmony of the spirit. You know that word endeavor means? you got to try hard. you got to try hard. Later on, he would talk to the Philippians. I want to see that you're standing together and striving together, working hard together. But he talks about here, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And what he says is this. Try hard to work it out. Now, earlier, Paul would say the work is too valuable to take the risk of somebody quitting. Now he's saying the work is too valuable for us to give up on each other and not try hard to work it out and work together. And the word endeavoring means sometimes it's, it is work. Sometimes there is an effort involved here. But he said you've got to work hard. 
And you got to work it out. And you got to put up with each other. And you got to work in peace with each other. But for now, the contention was sharp. You say that the contention was sharp. It was so sharp, they went their separate ways. They just split. Now we look at this passage and we might say, my, what a tragedy. Because you know what I've always envisioned? As I read this passage of scripture, I always envisioned that they all left in a huff. They all got mad and they all just walked away. Look a little closer. Yes, it's true. Paul went one way and Barnabas went another way. But you look real close at the details and Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go and see all the churches that we went to back on our first mission trip. And let's see how they're doing. And of course, then it says that they had a sharp contention. And they went their separate ways. And in verse 40, it says, verse 39, Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, you look at the first missionary journey, you know where the first place they went? Cyprus, which is the first place John Mark went. Paul didn't go to Cyprus. Paul and Silas didn't go to Cyprus. They went another direction. But where did John Mark go with Barnabas? Barnabas took him to one of the other churches. Very well could have been, they said, look, it's obvious we can't travel together. But I'll go this direction, take these churches, and you go that direction, take those churches. You know, there was an implied sense of cooperation, even though they didn't have the same idea. And I like that better than thinking that each of them left in a huff and they all stormed off without talking to each other again. It implies a level of cooperation. But this would be a sad story if it wasn't for the next one. And the next point is this. The great influence of a patient encourager. And that encourager is Barnabas. Because you, you, you look at, at the scriptures, we, we don't hear of Barnabas again in the book of Acts. And he's mentioned only one other time in Colossians. And it has to deal with a, an event that happened in uh, the Jerusalem council was before this. We don't hear of anything that Barnabas did after this. Or do we? See, first of all, everything that happened from here on out had Barnabas' fingerprints all over it. How is that? Well, he had a great influence over the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Many of you know this story already, but you have to look at it. You can't pass it up. Look in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Now, Saul of Tarsus, who had murdered Christians and was standing there when Stephen was stoned and had arrest warrants in his hand and was going, of course, to Damascus to arrest Christians. That was Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul the Apostle. But at this time, he was just Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus 
accepted the Lord. He got saved. And he wants to go work with the men in Jerusalem. We pick up the action in chapter 9, verse 26. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him and did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he'd seen the Lord on the road, how he had spoken to him, how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them in Jerusalem, coming in and going out. Wow. Barnabas went to the apostles that didn't want to give Paul a chance. They were done. They didn't want to give him a chance. And he said, look, I know he disappointed us in the past, but I just know he can do better, he can be better, because he got saved. And the patient encourager went to bat for the apostle Paul when nobody else would give him a chance. That's the very thing that Paul was now irritated at is because Barnabas said, give him a chance, Paul. He did the same thing for Paul. But also, the new church at Antioch. You know the story, chapter 11, verse 20 through 24. People were preaching Christ, and there was a new group of believers at Antioch. And they were coming to know the Lord, and that place was growing. And the people at Jerusalem said, we've got to send somebody to check it out. So they sent Barnabas. Barnabas, who when he got there, he encouraged them. And he lifted them up. And he told them to keep up the good work. And you know what he did? He said, we've got to have some help. This is too exciting for me to keep to myself. He went and got the apostle Paul, who then was still Saul of Tarsus, and brought him up there. So look at this. Everything in Paul's ministry from that time on had Barnabas' fingerprints on it. His name's not there. Paul takes the spotlight, and Paul pretty much takes the lead throughout the rest of the book of Acts. But all of that's possible because the guy behind the scenes who said, give him a chance, and the guy who went to the church at Antioch and his presence stabilized the church, and now they're the sending church. So everything Antioch does from then on has the fingerprints of Barnabas on it. So we realize his name is not mentioned, but his work is. But oh, it gets better. We're going to zero in on John Mark. John Mark could have been kicked to the curb. Here's what could have happened. Paul says, nope, nope, he's not going. And and Barnabas could have said, man, I I can't miss this trip. I'm going with Paul and sorry, Barnabas. I'm sorry, John Mark. Or he could have done it this way. No. He's, if, he's not, if he's going, I'm not going. Barnabas says, well, fine, fine. You go get somebody else and go with you. Then he could have fumed and fussed and pouted and just stuck around there and never done anything else in his life. And what did he do? He went on the trip, the other leg of the trip, and took John Mark with him. Now, what did that do? The fact that he didn't abandon the trip altogether, the fact that he didn't abandon John Mark altogether, said that he took John Mark and he worked with him 
all through the trip. And then we find his name again in a letter of Paul. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. Wow. Paul is writing this letter from a prison. And he says, Aristarchus is with me. And he says, also John Mark's here. Whoa. John Mark is with Paul. And Paul says, and you've already received instructions about him. What were the instructions? Where well, he reiterates them again. If he comes to you, you welcome him. What is this? This is a, a letter of endorsement that Paul is writing on behalf of who? John Mark. So what does that tell us about John Mark? The one that Paul once rejected, now Paul is recommending. He came along. He developed himself. He became more. He was, he was better and he was doing better. And all that because of who? Barnabas. Barnabas. The very next verse, he says, he's a comfort to me. Wow. Now, several years earlier, he irritated him. He disappointed him. He really upset him. Now he said, this guy is a comfort to me. But it gets even better. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul has clearly said that his time of his departure is at hand in the original language. We know that he wasn't talking about getting out of jail. He knew that his days were limited. He was about to lose his life. He writes this letter to Timothy and gives him some instructions. And in verse 9 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, be diligent to come quick. Timothy, you better come in a hurry. I don't know how much longer I have. Time's getting short. Be diligent. You're going to have to try. You've got to step it up. Make every effort to come quick. Come quick. Because Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He's departed Thessalonica. Cretans for Galatia. Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And now look at the next statement. Get Mark. And bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Get Mark and bring him with you. What does he say? Come quick. Come quick and bring Mark quick. Go get Mark. Go get Mark and bring him here quick. He is useful. The King James says profitable. He is valuable. He is useful. To ministry. He is useful what? To me. Man, 
you read through the, the book, of all the letters, but especially the book of Romans, Paul starts naming off people that are important to him. There's about two dozen people. And when you read through the other letters, you will read the names of probably about three dozen people that, that Paul mentions that are working with him, fellow prisoners, fellow workers, people who are with him that greet folks, people that he sends greetings to, and all of these folks. You know who he tells Timothy to go get? Go get Mark. Go get Mark. Wow. You know, do you know why Mark became so valuable to Paul? Because of Barnabas. Barnabas, that behind-the-scenes guy that he's been out of the spotlight for years. And Paul says, go get Mark. I really need him here because he's useful. He's the one I need. He's the one I need. Wow. What an endorsement. But let us look at John Mark and his worth to us. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 13, Peter refers to John Mark as my son. That word son means my disciple. So Barnabas took John Mark with him, and somewhere along the way, John Mark became a disciple of Peter. Based on the words of Peter. Now, this is, a, this is a replay for some of you who are here on Wednesday night. It's quite interesting. A few years later, a disciple of John called Papias. You see, these guys discipled other men. It's fascinating to read through who their disciples were. John, the beloved disciple, had a disciple called Papias. Well, Papias did some writing, wrote some things concerning scriptures and concerning a lot of different things. And in his writing, he said this, the presbyter said, now that word presbyter is John. In his writing said, John said that Mark became Peter's interpreter or his translator. And Mark wrote down everything Peter remembered about Jesus. He was a disciple of Peter, and Peter was teaching him about Jesus, and he would hear Peter preaching about Jesus. So as Peter was preaching, as Peter was teaching, Mark was writing it all down. And you have a copy of that in your lap. That was the author of the gospel of Mark. His material came straight from Peter, and he wrote it down. It'd never be in here if Barnabas hadn't had patience to be an encourager to bring him along. Your ministry may not be in the spotlight. Your ministry may not be to go. Your ministry may not be to fill a, a position anywhere. But if you can be a calm and patient encourager to the people around you, you never know how long and how far your influence will go. Barnabas, we say, just fades away. No, he doesn't. 
His fingerprints are seen all over the rest of the scriptures. You see, it comes down to this. God has a wonderful plan to reach the world and to build churches. And he wants to use all of us. All of us are not the same. But I'm going to quote a pastor friend of mine. Well, he's my brother of another color. That is Leroy Martin. You all know Brother Leroy. I heard him say at a graveside, life is too short to fool around, so you better get in where you fit in and start working for the gospel. Now, to get in where you fit in, you got to find where you fit in, and you're not going to fit in the same place that I am or somebody else. Find where you fit in. But get in, because there's too much to do. How do you find where you fit in? Just start doing stuff. Let me tell you, you'll find out quick where you don't fit in, right? You'll find it out. You got to start doing stuff. And to do stuff, you got to be here. But you're already here. But let me tell you the other thing before we, before we have our invitation. All this focus is on reaching the lost and teaching the saved to reach the lost. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, it's all about you. God wants to reach you with the message of his love. There is hope. There is purpose. There is forgiveness. There is salvation through Jesus Christ and no other. Do you know him? Do you know him? Now, do you know him? Are you where you need to be? Get in where you fit in. There's too much work to do. As we stand and sing. What Number 295.